You are listening to the Less Drama, More Mama podcast, episode 215. You are not a shitty parent with Carla Nomberg. This is Less Drama, More Mama, the podcast for moms who want to feel calm, in control, and confident about how to handle anything life throws their way. You're ready to go from feeling frazzled and disrespected to feeling calm and connected. This is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Pam Howard. Hey, Mama. You are in for a special treat today. We have Carla Nomberg back on the show. And before we get to her interview, I want to let you know about a new workshop I have coming up on Friday, October 7th. If you feel disrespected by your kids, and have tried all of the rewards, consequences, lectures, and incentives you can think of, you must attend this workshop. I'm going to teach you about the secret to getting the respect you deserve that no one else is talking about. To find out more and get the link to this Zoom call, make sure you're subscribed to my email list by going to lessdramamoremama.com forward slash subscribe, and then mark your calendar for Friday, October 7th, from noon to 1 p.m. Eastern. You're not going to want to miss it. It's new material that I haven't taught before. So my guest today is Carla Nomberg, who is the author of five nonfiction books, including her international bestseller, How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids. Carla's writing has appeared in a variety of online and print publications, including the New York Times, The Washington Post, The Huffington Post, Psychology Today, and Parents.com. She has a master's degree in social work from Smith College and a PhD in clinical social work from Simmons College in Boston. Carla grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and the Bay Area of California, and she currently lives outside Boston with her husband and two daughters. In today's episode, we talk about Carla's new book, You Are Not a Shitty Parent, How to Practice Self-Compassion and Give Yourself a Break. In her unique, down-to-earth, warm, and humorous way, Carla helps us understand the importance of self-compassion and gives us practical strategies to apply to prevent and manage what she calls shitty parent syndrome. If you've ever thought to yourself, I'm such a shitty parent, and who among us hasn't at some point, you'll love this episode. Please enjoy. All right, we are back with Carla Nomberg. Carla, you are the very first guest to make a reappearance on my show. Yes, that is such a great way to start my day. I love hearing that. Yeah, I'm so excited that you're back. I'm going to link to the first episode that we did together, which was about your book. I'm forgetting the name of it right now. It's called How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids. Yes, that's the one. And today we are going to be talking about your newest book coming out soon, available for pre-order, <laughs> called You Are Not a Shitty Parent, How to Practice Self-Compassion and Give Yourself a Break. That's the I one. I love it. I love it. There's so, a theme here. There is a theme, which is that I am word potty shit. mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, did you just say that set up full of shit? Because that works no. too. <laughs> no, the theme is the word shit. Not oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would never say that. Yeah, I don't think that at all about you. I think. No, but it makes me laugh, you, which is what I'm here laugh. for. I think um, what you have to say is brilliant, and I agree with so much of it. So I want to get right into that. Tell us, why did you write a book on this topic? Yeah, so I think it's the book, maybe I'm just projecting, as we humans are known to do, projecting my own needs onto every parent on the planet, which I obviously feel fairly comfortable doing. But I think it's the book we all need right now, right? Like, So this is a book about self-compassion, which is about noticing when we're suffering or struggling and choosing to treat ourselves with kindness and acceptance. And I go, you know, deep and very specific and, and concrete about how to do that in the book. But I, I feel like we parents, and so my kids are 13 and 12. So I've been, you know, neck deep in all this for well over a decade. And I feel like we parents have been suffering from what, from a, a disorder that I have made up that I call shitty parent syndrome for a long time now. And I think the pandemic just made it so much worse because what I saw happening to myself and to so many people during the pandemic is that 
time and again, we were asked to make a choice for our children or on behalf of our children. And the choice was really between bad and worse. Mm. Which one are you going to choose? And in that moment, we had no way of knowing which one was bad and which one was worse. And sometimes we made the better choice, which was nearly bad. And sometimes we made the worst choice, which was even worse. And now we're just starting starting to try to make sense of this. And we'll be making sense of this for decades to come. And I think a lot of us are really blaming ourselves for the, for, for the outcome of these choiceless choices. It's like when we used to say to our toddlers, you can have zero cookies or you can have one, right? right. And yet in the pandemic, we didn't even get the freaking cookie. There was no cookies. There was just like... You can have no cookies or you can clean up the mess of the yucky cookie, right? So I just wanted to put a book out there that was like, hey, parents, you're not alone in how hard this is. You are not alone in how much we're all struggling to figure out what the hell is going on. And here's a way to treat yourself with kindness and understanding and give yourself a little bit of grace instead of beating yourself up and feeling like a terrible parent because we're struggling. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I I totally agree. I actually did a podcast episode kind of outing myself about some of my worst parenting moments. Um, And it was called How to Move On After a Mama Meltdown. Love it. And and it was all about like this time when Marissa, my older daughter, was uh, really little and how I had a very bad parenting moment and beat the crap out of myself afterwards. And then more recently had another kind of bad parenting moment in my opinion, but offered myself compassion and grace afterwards and like the difference that it made in my whole experience and how I showed up afterwards. And it was awesome. So I, I love that you wrote a whole entire book on this. You, I, I wish you could see my arms because I have goosebumps right now, Pam, and I'm not a goosebumpy person, but <laughs> I'm having a moment. I'm trying not to get a little tearful. Um, because the, I I resonate with that so deeply. And my early years of parenting, I thought I was a terrible parent. I was beating myself up constantly. I was working my butt off. I was doing my best. I was having a lot of what I can look back now and say were great parenting moments. And I was having also having a lot of really not great parenting moments when I was screaming at my kids, when I was impatient, when I got really frustrated with them. Um, and parenting that way is miserable. It's exhausting. It's overwhelming. You feel um, disempowered. You feel stuck, confused. It just, and you feel like everybody else is doing better than you. Everybody else, right? Mm -hmm. There were times when I could literally convince myself that I was the only parent who was yelling at her kids. I could literally make myself believe that. And then when I started learning about and practicing self-compassion, at at first I thought it was a total load of crap. I really did. The first time I heard about self-compassion, I was like, this is not what I need. I need answers. I need solutions. I need to-do lists where I can check the little box and know it's done and know I'm being a good parent. But sadly, that doesn't exist, which really stinks. I'm I'm still annoyed at that. Um, so I sort of, I was like a hostile witness with self-compassion. I was like a grumpy, insolent toddler. I was like, fine, if you're going to make me do this, I'll do this, even though nobody was making me do it. And Pam, it was life-changing. I'm, I'm, I sound so ridiculous. I sound like the person who discovered sliced bread, but it really did change. No, I'm with you. Everything about my life. If, if there was one thing that I would give to every parent on the planet, it would be childcare. But if there was another thing I could give to every parent on the planet, it would be self-compassion. Yeah. I actually have, have a client who had a similar reaction when I said something about being compassionate with herself. She was like, she didn't tell me this until much later, but at the time she was thinking to herself like, what a load of crap. Like, what does she mean? Be compassionate with myself. Yeah. I think a lot of us think that if if we're kind to ourselves, if we're gentle with ourselves, then we're not going to change. And so we need to beat ourselves up in order to like, you know, uh, coerce ourselves into becoming better version and tell us why the opposite is true. Oh, it just, I mean, it doesn't work. Um, which stinks because that is, again, the message that we get from society. So wouldn't it be great if if the message that was constantly pounded into our heads was actually the right one? But sadly, it's not. Um, and there has been a lot of research on self-compassion. So this isn't just me sitting at home thinking nice thoughts and putting them into a book. There's actually been a number of researchers. And I want to give a shout out to Kristen Neff out of Texas and Christopher Germer in Cambridge, who are two of the lead researchers on this, although many, many people are doing this work now. And what they have found is that compassion is actually one of the most powerful ways 
to make changes in our lives. And the example that I give that that resonates with um, pretty much every woman I've ever met is, okay, let's imagine that you've just started a diet. And I actually hate talking about dieting because diet culture sucks and doesn't work and makes us feel bad about our bodies. But we'll move on because this is a story that everybody can relate to. So you've just started your diet and there's like a pack of Oreos in your cabinet and you reach in and you have a couple Oreos. So most of us would probably think to ourselves, I suck. I just broke the diet. I've only been on it a day or two. I can't do this. I'm miserable. I'm never going to lose this weight. Screw it. I don't care. And what do you do next, Pam? What do you do off your diet? And you eat the entire freaking sleeve of Oreos. Yeah. Because what is the point? Right. And when you can, now let's let's bring in the self-compassion piece. So when, let's imagine the same scenario, you've eaten a couple of Oreos. If you can say to yourself, okay, I just ate those Oreos and dieting is really, really hard and it's hard for everyone. And resisting temptation is just a hard thing that most humans aren't very good at. And it's okay. I don't have to be perfect to do a good job. I don't have to be perfect to be successful. Chances are far more likely that you're going to put the rest of those Oreos back in the cabinet or throw them away or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we see this with smoking cessation. We see this with all sorts of healthy habits. And we also see it with parenting. And it's Hopefully, even if our readers aren't, sorry, even if your listeners aren't quite ready to, you know, if they haven't quite bought this, maybe they can start to resonate with, like, imagine that you've just exploded at your kids and you've screamed and shouted at them and slammed the door and lost your shit and all the things. Most of us probably have the experience of, I'm a terrible parent. I'm screwing up my kids. Like, I love them so much. I can't believe I treated them this way. I suck at this. I'm awful. Mm -hmm. And then you just, feel like crap and you're stuck and there's kind of no way out of it. There's no way to move forward. There's no good options for what to do. You just kind of feel like crap until something comes along and distracts you and you move on. But you're still kind of feeling that heavy, yucky, awful feeling inside. So the next time you're you're presented with a challenging parenting situation, it's hard to feel confident. It's hard to feel creative. It's hard to know what to do because all you can think is, I, I suck and I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. But then if you can kind of flip that switch and let's say you have that terrible moment, which we all have, right? We all have whole parenting moments where we behave in ways that we're not pleased with, Mm -hmm. that we wouldn't choose to behave in. And if you can just sort of look at that moment afterwards and say, wow, okay, so that wasn't great, but parenting is crazy hard and it's crazy hard for every single one of us. And it's really a very normal parenting experience to lose it with your kids. And what do I need? What happened there? Like what what was going on? And what what's what what am I struggling with and what are my kids struggling with? And when you can bring this sense of what Christopher uh, sorry, what Kristen Neff calls common humanity, this idea that you're not alone, right? When you can find a way to feel connected to parents around the world in that moment, and when you can be curious with yourself and really actually listen to your answers. This is this is the trick, Pam, right? Is that you So many of us will be like, oh man, I need a break. And then we kind of blow that off, right? Right. We just go back to stressing about our to-do lists and nagging the kids or whatever. Mm -hmm. But when you can listen to yourself, all of a sudden you can start to imagine kind of a weight lifted off your shoulders and you have some real information to work with. Like, oh, I don't parent well when I haven't slept in four nights. I don't parent well when I haven't peed all day. I don't parent well when I'm hungry or when... I just had a really awful conversation with a family member and it's like weighing on my mind. I don't parent well when I have a massive toothache. And when you start to learn these things about yourself, then you can make choices to do things differently. Yeah, I think that's key is looking at these moments where we don't show up the way we want to as learning opportunities to be able to do it better the next time. And like, if we don't stop and take take a look at ourselves and understand what went on, then we can't, learn from it and do better the next time. Yeah. And I really want to make the distinction with parents of this is not like you sitting yourself down at a police interrogation table and shining that bright light on yourself and being like, where were you? And what the hell happened? And why did you do that? Like, this isn't like Mm -hmm. the mean interrogation. This is like, imagine your favorite wise person. Maybe it's a friend or a grandparent or an aunt and uncle or a mentor or favorite teacher. And you kind of sit down on the couch next to them and maybe they give you a blanket and a cup of tea and they say, so what's going on? Like, that's the vibe we're looking for. What's going on, love? Yeah, how you doing there? And um, this is a tricky place to go for many parents because what their brain will come back at them with is what's going on is that I suck. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so when you notice those thoughts, first of all, let's take a step back and remember a fundamental truth of human beings, which is that we don't have to believe everything we think. Mm-hmm. I can sit here and believe I'm a unicorn all day long. And yeah. sadly, for your listeners who can't actually see me, I'm not, in fact, a unicorn. I can believe I'm the president of France. I can believe I have eight arms. None of these are true, right? I can think all I want. I can think all the thoughts. That doesn't mean they're true. So the reason you think in that moment that you suck is not because you do, in fact, suck. It's because it's an easy thought that your tired brain can grab onto because your tired brain has been thinking it for so long that that's where it goes. Mm -hmm. So I think of self-compassion as trying to learn a new language. And this is a language that most of us didn't grow up speaking because our parents didn't grow up speaking and their parents didn't grow up speaking and their parents didn't grow up speaking. And just like I don't speak Greek because nobody in my family has ever spoken Greek. It doesn't mean my family's bad people. It's just not what we learned, right? And so right. when I am trying to speak this new language of self-compassion to myself, at first, it's really hard to find the words. And the old language of self-deprecation is what comes so easily because that's my native language because mm-hmm. that's the culture I grew up in. Right. So it really is taking the time to try to find and practice this new way of speaking to yourself. Okay. I before we get into talking about how to practice, yeah, I think that's important. Um, I'm gonna play devil's advocate. I'm gonna like take this to the extreme, right? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So because I was telling somebody that I was interviewing you today in the title of your book. And um, he said, well, what if you actually are a shitty parent? Like, or what if, like, I'm, I'm sure that listeners are thinking, but my mom or dad actually was a shitty parent, Carla. Or, you know, if I um, accidentally run over my kid's foot in the driveway, doesn't that actually make me a shitty parent? Like, so, I mean, I'm playing devil's advocate because I, I know your answer and I agree with you, but <laughs> tell us your thoughts on this. No, this is, this is the question, right? Yeah. And every time I mention the name of my book, th- this is the first question that parents come right back at me with. And actually it was a big debate at my family table last night. And here's what I would say. And I, I let me set the context for me saying this. So I am a child of multiple divorces. I grew up with alcoholism and mental illness in my family. I'm also a clinical social worker, and I have worked on an inpatient psychiatric unit where we had a lot of parents who were spending time on the unit who had been really debilitated and disabled by their mental health and mental illness challenges and who were, you know, I I have had to call on multiple times the Department of Social Services or the Department of Children Families, whatever you call it, because I was concerned about a child's safety in the home. Mm-hmm. So I have both extensive personal and professional experience with what some people might call shitty parenting. And here's what I would say. I, I do not, to my core, I fundamentally do not believe there is such a thing as a shitty parent. What I believe is that there is some really unskillful, deeply problematic parenting behavior. And I believe there are parents who do not have the information, resources, and support that they need to parent well. And why does that matter? What's the distinction there? The minute we call someone a shitty parent, that's a dead end. There's nowhere to go from there. It's like, you're terrible at this, you're screwing up your kids, you're worthless, you're useless, the end, game over. Mm -hmm. There's no off-road from that horrible highway. The minute we start to say to parents, you're really struggling, you don't have the information, the resources, the support you need to parent the way you want to, All of a sudden, that opens doors to say, okay, what do you need? What help do you need? What support? What resources? And by resources, I mean internal and external. So external resources, money. It's really hard to parent well when you can't feed your family, when you are living, when you are unhoused. And that's not to say homeless parents aren't good parents. I'm just saying it's a hell of a lot harder, right? So external resources, access to medical insurance, to high-quality health care, access to schools where you're going to have support from teachers, where your children are getting what they need, access to mental health providers, child therapists, good doctors, all the things, right? But I'm also talking about internal resources. And if you are a parent who is a survivor of trauma, if you are struggling with a mental illness and living with a mental illness, um, all of these things, if you're just an anxious person, if you weren't parented well, These aren't, you're going to be struggling with these internal resources. 
But when we stop talking about shitty parents and start talking about what parents need, all of a sudden we can have a productive conversation. And whether or not we can get parents what they need, because our culture and our society is not set up to give parents what they need. And so what we do is we end up blaming individuals for what is really a societal problem. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if we can't give parents exactly what they need, what we can do is start to take some of that that labeling away, which is so deeply problematic. Mm, Yeah. Oh, this is so good. And it's also, I mean, I'm thinking about it for parents, but also for kids. Like we think that there are bad kids, right? And it's the same concept that there's, I mean, I did a whole podcast on there's no bad kids. It's not, it's not a thing. That Uh, just, it just breaks my, like I, again, apparently this is the conversation where Carla's going to get tearful a bunch of times because the thought of a parent thinking their kid is bad or a kid thinking they themselves are bad just literally almost brings me to tears because it's just not, it's not a thing. Yeah. It's not a yeah. thing. There are there are kids who are so hard and so confusing. And the way I think about it is their secret hasn't been unlocked yet. They have some secret that they don't even know what it is of of how they function or what they need or what's going on for them that hasn't been unlocked. And please note that I didn't say the parent hasn't unlocked their secret yet. I would never say that because I think some kids, whatever's going on inside them is so hard to figure out and to clarify that no parent could do it. And I don't ever want parents to think that that's their job and their job alone because some kids are too tricky, but they're not bad kids. Yeah, yeah. And it's like what Ross Green says about these kids who are behaving in ways that we don't understand. It's just like they want to behave better, but they don't have the skills. Like you were saying, they don't have the resources. Yep. Um, anyway, we're getting off the topic of parenting. We're getting over to the kid's side. But what do you tell moms or parents to do to begin a practice of self-compassion? So let's say, you know, there's a mom and she is constantly yelling at her kids and just thinking to herself, I can't do this. This is so hard and I suck at it. And what does she do first? So I think the first thing I would want is to make sure that that parent understands the connection between self-compassion and parenting in more effective ways. Because I think that right now, many parents are only interested in strategies that they think will directly benefit their kids. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually not a big fan of this. I think it's okay and even a really beneficial choice for parents to do things that directly benefit us, Mm -hmm. partially because we need it and we deserve it and we are worthy of it and it's important, but also because anything that benefits us, anything that helps us feel calmer and steadier and more centered and more compassionate is inevitably going to be a benefit to our children. Yeah. You know, Hal Runkle, who wrote Scream Free Parenting, he says, parenting is not about kids. It's about parents. And screens are not about kids. They're about parents. They're what parents need. Screens are like really putting your kid in front of a screen is a thing you do for yourself to give yourself a a much needed and well-deserved break. But back to the point. So I totally agree with that. But what I want parents to understand, because for so many parents, this is still the only motivation and you got to meet parents where they are, is that your self-compassion practice will not only directly benefit you, it will directly benefit your children. Mm -hmm. Because the more compassionate we are with ourselves, the more the calmer we'll be with our kids the more clearly we'll be able to see what's going on to get a sense of what's happening. And I can give an example of that in a minute. The more creative we're going to be in our parenting, you hear all these stories of parenting coming up with these awesome, creative, sort of really unique and individual solutions to family challenges. And there's no parenting coach or book or guide that can tell you that because they're so unique to the the quirks and specificities of your family But when you are buried under a pile of self-loathing, you can't think creatively to come up with whatever that solution is. Mm -hmm. So compassion helps us be calmer, see clearly, be more creative in our parenting, and then finally feel more confident. Because if you, you know, if you went to a job and it was a job you did like 200 hours a week, I don't know how many hours there are a week, but the 200 feels right. (laughs) And uh the whole time you had this little gremlin of a boss following you around, pointing out all your mistakes and telling you how much you suck, chances are you wouldn't feel very confident about your ability to do that job. And that makes it so much harder. 
And the same is true. That was obviously a metaphor for parenting, which I think is got. <laughs> um, but when you know that there is someone on your team who no matter what you show up with, no matter how badly you've screwed up, no matter how badly you feel about yourself, they're always going to be there saying, hey, it's okay. This stuff is hard. And just because it's hard doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Hang in there. That helps you feel more confident, right? So I would want parents on board with this idea, this reality, that self-compassion will help them be calmer, think more clearly, be more creative, and feel more confident in their parenting. And then from then, the next step is just starting to notice when you're beating yourself up. Because so many of us move through our days with this constant cycling, this constant repetitive narrative, dialogue in our brains about all the ways in which we are terrible and we don't even notice it. Mm-hmm. And it's like driving along on a flat tire and having no idea that your tire is flat. And like, it feels so hard and it feels like you can't drive the way you want to. And why is everything so awful today? And why am I going so slowly? And why am I... And if you don't notice your tire is flat, you can't pull over and call AAA or change the tire or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So I want parents to start noticing these voices. And whew, when you start, yeah, it is not a fun game. That yeah. is like, what was the crazy lady on the podcast talking about? Because this feels awful. Yes, yes. It's Ooh. so true. It's so true. Ooh. It's good to point that out because in the beginning, when you start noticing your inner critic or your judge or whatever you want to call it, you start to notice it everywhere. And it's oh, like, and it is. And what I want, brutal. It's brutal. It's so, it's like, what? What am I doing to myself? And what I want, what I hope parents will, will how I hope parents will respond is not with, oh my God, I suck because I'm so bad at self-compassion. Like that is not the vibe we're going here for folks. That's not what we want. What I hope parents will just come out is like, oh, oh, that's been happening. Okay. All right. Good to know. Yeah. Right. And again, not your fault. This is literally the language you grew up speaking and that social media and parenting experts and all the people keep reinforcing. Not because yeah. any of them want you to feel bad, but because the more we say, this is how you should be parenting better, the implication is you need to be better, you need to be fixed. And I am here to tell you, you are not broken. You don't need to be fixed. Parenting is hard for everyone and you need to cut yourself some slack, right? Mm-hmm. So noticing is the first piece. Okay. And it pops up in these crazy small ways, Pam. I had a friend. Our kids are, were in fourth grade together. And she sent me this series of texts about how her son was like shoving all his math pages, his math worksheets in the bottom of his backpack, and they were getting all torn and stuff. So she sends me this series of texts describing how this is happening. And I'm thinking, yep, my kid does that too. Yep, it's like it's like some, a bomb went off in her backpack, a little self-contained bomb. That's what her math papers look like. And at the end, my friend typed in, I'm such a shitty mom. Wow. Now. I know that if I had sat my friend down and said, do you really believe that your 10-year-old's inability to properly manage the math paperwork is a reflection of your parenting? She would have been like, no, not really. I don't actually believe that. But it's just what comes out. Mm -hmm. And we want to stop speaking that language. So I want parents to start noticing when they're speaking that language. So then the next step is to kind of choose a strategy. And I offer three strategies that are based on the evidence and the research And they're all really useful and really important. And I want parents to pick the one that works for them. And you can use all three. So they are connection, curiosity, and kindness. So I'm all about the C sounds because my name is Carla. And so therefore, (laughs) clearly everything in my life has to start with a hard C sound. Uh, Not true, folks, but it's handy. Um, So connection. I go through a bunch of ideas in the book, but again, I'll just pick the big ones. So the big one I've already talked about, which is this idea of connecting to common humanity, because one of the things that is so prevalent among parents is this fundamental belief that we are alone in whatever our struggles are. Mm -hmm. And what do we do when we're having a hard time, Pam? Let me, let's see if, if you (laughs) walk through the door I'm opening for you. I withdraw, I isolate, I, I hide. Yeah, I don't want to talk to anybody about it because I'm so ashamed. Yeah, right? We all do that. Every single one of us. Our natural tendency is like the digital and interpersonal equivalent of closing the windows and dropping the shades. Mm -hmm. We rarely show up on social media with this stuff. We rarely reach out to people unless we have a therapist or a rabbi or priest or minister or imam or something. Life coach. 
life coach. Did you all know that Pam is a life coach? <laughs> She's amazing. You should totally give her a call. Anyways, most of us isolate, withdraw, and that just reinforces this idea, this fundamentally untrue idea that we are the only ones who insert your struggle here, okay? So connection is all about reconnecting to common humanity, which is reminding ourselves that we are not alone. And sometimes that's really hard to remind ourselves of. Sometimes we can't bring ourselves to believe it. And so that's when I, I hope that, I, I hope, my wish is that every parent has at least one person in their life who I refer to as the parents who don't clean up their houses when you go over there. My husband refers to as the parents who he can wear their Crocs over, his Crocs over to their house. Like when you're good enough friends with us, my husband will be like, oh, thank God I can wear my Crocs. Yeah. Um, but these are the parents who we can be vulnerable with, right? Who we walk over to their house and their house is a mess and they don't care and they didn't need to clean it up. They can be honest with us and we can be honest with them. So I would hope every parent has someone like that that you can call up and just be like, uh, I'm a mess. I need some help. I, and, they, and they're going to respond to you in the language of compassion. Okay, so connection is the first piece. And it that's so important of, though, because of isolation. That, that last piece that you said, and they show up with in the language of compassion, because I think a lot of us will call our, not me, I love you, mom, but people will call their mothers or you know their sisters or whatever and vent. And they don't speak the language of compassion. They give you advice. Yes, they give you advice or they compound the problem. So knowing who in your life you can turn to that's going to speak that language of compassion is really vital. One of the things I love about, I'm going to plug my coaching program for a minute. Um, one of the things I love about it is that in addition to one-on-one -on -one support, I offer a group. And the moms who come to those groups, they just love it because they can talk openly about what's going on for them. They can share, they can give each other support. And it's really, really special. I love that you do that. And I think there are so many benefits to working with a coach and going to a group. And in addition to having a wise mentor there for you and connecting with other moms, there is something really special about going to a place and dumping it all out and then being like, okay, I can just leave that there till next Tuesday at four o'clock. Mm -hmm. It's a real gift. So thank you, Pam. And to all the, the parenting coaches and therapists out there in the world, I just want to say thank you because the work you're doing is sacred and it makes a huge difference. It changes lives. Um, but for sure, Pam, you made a really good point that I want to say one more thing about is that we all have lots of people in our lives who are supportive and loving and kind in cer certain ways and at certain times, but aren't necessarily the people we want to go to when we're really suffering and struggling with this sort of self contempt with this sense that we're all alone. And I'll tell you, one thing I want parents to do is, is to get a little more discriminating. So if you call up someone and what they do is offer you advice or shut down the conversation or change the topic or say, oh, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And then move on. What they are doing is either trying to fix you, which whether or not you need to change behaviors in that moment, that vibe of trying to fix you is not what you need. It's only going to compound your self-deprecation, your you're feeling that you're not worthy or you're not doing a good job. And when they try to shut down the conversation, what they're fundamentally saying is, I can't handle this right now. I can't tolerate what you're showing up with. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. That's about them. And maybe yeah. they're actually being very wise. Maybe they can't tolerate it in that moment. Maybe they can't open up to what you're bringing because it's too painful for them or it triggers them or they're, they have to run out the door in five minutes and they need to keep their you know self together so they can be present with whatever's next. But because we humans see the world through our own perspective, which is a fundamentally human thing, and it's really hard to switch places, what we tend to think, even subconsciously, is my problem is so bad. Mm -hmm. It's so awful that they can't hear it. And so what we need to find are those folks who can be present with us, who can be curious with us, which is the next strategy of compassion, yeah. who can say, oh, yeah, that happened to me too. And it really sucked. And tell me what's going on for you, right? So we want to find those compassionate people. And that's not to say everyone else in your life is, is bad or you shouldn't be in relationship with them or they don't love you. That's not at all the case. It's just that in that moment, at that time, they can't give you what you need. And that's okay. That's okay. Mm -hmm. So the curiosity piece yeah. is really about, like curiosity, if you think about it, 
is a fundamentally compassionate practice. Being interested in ourselves, being interested in someone else and listening to what we have to say, it's like saying, you matter. You are worth my time. You are worth my interest. Mm -hmm. And what you're going to tell me isn't going to scare me away. Mm -hmm. And so when we can be curious with ourselves, what we are saying is, hey, self, I can dig into this a little bit deeper and I'm, I'm not going to terrify myself. I'm not going to run away. You're not so scary. Now, what I want to say and take a minute here, and Pam, I know you know about this stuff because of your background, is that for some people, this curiosity is, is too scary and too hard to do alone, especially if you are a trauma survivor. Yeah. And for those folks, I would encourage you to find the wise guide, the, the, the coach, the therapist, the spiritual advisor, the support group, whatever it is, because... If you feel like you can't do the curiosity piece because it's just too scary, acknowledge that feeling within yourself, honor that, and get some support. Because coaches and therapists and counselors are professional curiousers. That's not a word. (laughs) Professionally curious, right? That's our job. Yeah. To sit with you and ask those questions and then sort through the answers and make sense of it with you. Right. It's not our job to tell you what's up. Right. And I think the other piece of that is non, I mean, curiosity is the opposite of judgment. And so it's holding that non-judgmental space for you to explore what's going on. And I think that's really important. It's life-changing. It's, it's so, but curiosity is amazing because all of a sudden you get some clarity and here's the example I give. So years ago, my, my daughter who was then like three or four, um, and we took her and her two or three-year-old sister to one of these little town fairs with, you know, little rides and you bouncy houses and, you know, throw the dart at the balloon because what you really want to do is hand a three-year-old a dart <laughs> that you've paid like $8 for so they can win like a 30% yeah. prize, but whatever. So we took her out to the town fair and we're having a great time. And now I'm thinking, oh, this is so great. We're such great parents. Look at us doing this fun thing with our kids. We're so awesome, blah, 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 blah. And a couple hours later, my my daughter just falls apart, like epic meltdown. Like she is boneless on the ground. She is screaming. It's a shit show. Like people are looking, it's a mess. And I'm thinking to myself, what the hell? Oh my gosh, I'm raising such a spoiled child. We have given her everything she wanted today. We got her the damn icy. We got her the stupid toy, but but did we let her go on the bouncy house? We did the slide, all the things. And now she's throwing a fit. She's so ungrateful. I am raising a spoiled, entitled child and I am a terrible parent for it. And then somehow, I don't know how this happened, Pam, it was like an act of God. All of a sudden, I was like, wait, 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 what is going on here? And I got curious. And when I got curious, I realized we missed lunch. Mm-hmm. We were all having such a good time. We forgot <laughs> to feed the child. And being a preschooler, she did not yet have the body awareness or the language or all the things to tell us that she was hungry. Mm-hmm. And like me and my grandmother, she comes from a long line of women who become absolutely dysregulated and totally bitchy when we're hungry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, so then did you beat yourself up for not remembering to give her lunch? I think I was so distracted okay. by like finding food for her that she would eat that the beating up came later. I delayed it. I was like, I'll have time to feel like crap about this later. And I did. Don't worry. I'm, I'm very, my follow through <laughs> on that kind of stuff used to be phenomenal. Um, but all of a sudden the narrative changed from I'm a terrible parent raising like a deeply problematic child to, oh, my kid's hungry. And curiosity was the thing that made that possible, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So nine times out of 10, when we are curious, the solution is actually going to be, or the answer or whatever we come up with, because there are so rarely solutions of parenting, but the information we land on is going to be so much um, more useful and often not nearly as bad as our minds had imagined the problem was. Mm-hmm. So That's the curiosity piece. And then finally, we come to the kindness piece, which is just about treating yourself with kindness when these moments are hard. And sometimes this really is that kind self-talk, and I give a lot of examples of it. But I feel like so often when we have a terrible parenting moment or when something is confusing or hard about parenting, many parents that I know, and I suspect that you know, and I think this is also a mom thing, although I haven't done research on that. It could also be a dad thing, but I think it's also a mom thing. We go into like fix it mode. Like we go on Amazon and where's the book that's going to like solve the problem that I'm struggling with or who are the experts? And I have to call my friends and I have to like get the information to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's actually useful. Like 
if you are having a hard time not losing your shit with your kids, have I got a book for you? (laughs) But so often in parenting, there is no answer. There is no solution. There is like, strap in and hold on tight because this is going to be a hell of a ride. And hopefully you got some good friends along with you and a whole lot of self-compassion because we just got to get through it. But when we go into this place of fix it, of self-improvement, the fundamental message is behind that you are not good enough. Mm -hmm. And that feels awful. And it's often not true. Yeah. And when we can switch that narrative to kindness, which is, hey, you know, it's it's kind of kindness is kind of this natural outpouring or aftermath of common humanity and curiosity. Once we remember we're not alone and we figure out what we need, can we give ourselves that? Do you need to put your kid in front of a TV for an hour so you can sit and stare at the wall? Do you need to put your kid in front of a TV for an hour? This is so often a good, a good option when you need a break, especially because childcare is so hard. But do you need to reach out to your parenting partner if you have one and say? I need a couple hours to go for a walk with a friend. You know, what do you need? And then can you actually give that to yourself? Is really such an act of kindness. Yeah. All right. So we have connection, curiosity, and kindness. Love it. I have one more question. And that is, what do you tell parents who have a partner, hopefully not a partner, but or an ex-partner or even their own child or parents Somebody outside of them telling them, you're a shitty parent. Oh, this is um, such a great question, Pam, that nobody has asked me yet. And I, I love it. And I think it depends on who it is in your life. If it is someone that you can set boundaries with, for example, an ex-partner or another adult in your life that you don't live with, let's start with that. Mm-hmm. Then, first of all, what I say to parents is anticipate it. No, they're going to say it, you know, you're like, I have to get on the phone to sort out this stuff with my ex. And I know they're going to come at me with these like character assassinations or whatever. And then when they do it, it's not so shocking. It's like, yep, they're just falling into that same trap they always did. And I knew that was going to happen. And there we go. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a therapist I know, actually, when she has clients who are headed into tricky family situations. And I know you know this one, Pam. They do the, they do the like Thanksgiving family bingo card. <laughs> yeah. Where you write out on the bingo card, you know, all the things that like racist Uncle Mort is going to say and your mom's going to comment on your weight. And like Aunt Zelda is going to comment on your parenting. And like when all these things happen, you can check them off and see if you can get bingo, which I think is just a a beautiful way. Somehow these things aren't as um they're not as hard to deal with when you know they're coming, right? Yeah. And when you expect them, it's like, oh yeah, check. Okay, we got through that part of the meal. Um, and don't be afraid to hang up the phone. Don't be afraid to walk out of the room, mm-hmm. right? Because there comes a point when, and it's, this is especially hard for women who are taught that we need to like maintain relational connections at all cost. But there comes a point when you're allowed to say, I'm going to hang up now. I'm not going to have this conversation with you. I am walking out. Sorry, I'm not coming for Thanksgiving this year if so-and-so is going to be there. And man, that sucks. That is painful. And that's a hard decision to make, but sometimes it's the right one. Now, if your kid is coming at you with this, that's rough. And I'm not just going to be one of those people. I used to say, oh, it's okay when your kids would do that with you because it means they feel safe with you. Because if they're behaving well at school and they're treating you like crap, what it means is that you have taught them how to behave well and they're just letting it all out on you. There may be some truth to that, right? But at the end of the day, we have to talk to kids about behavior. I would never say to a kid, you can't feel angry at your parents. No feeling is ever wrong. And even though some of them feel absolutely horrible, they're not wrong, right? Yeah. But those aren't things we say to people. And so I think you can set limits around that. You can say that's not the language we use in these moments because sometimes kids throw out words and it's like they're trying them on. They heard someone else say it and it seems like something maybe that is a way to express their frustration. And so you can work with them around what's another way for you to let me know you're not happy with me Mm because it's okay for you to let me know you're not happy with me, but we need to do it in a different way. And sometimes that sort of language can be an indication that a kid is struggling with some pretty serious anxiety or depression or another thing. So you may need to get that checked out. Mm -hmm. Um, With a partner, if you have a parenting partner who's in your house with you and they are doing, treating you this way, um, that's something that needs to be sort of dug into. 
and explored. And if you can explore it safely with them in the home, that may be a time to find, you know, to have a conversation. And I'm curious, Pam, if you would offer other suggestions, but also, can you find a time to have a conversation with them when the kids aren't around, when ideally you've both had a good night's sleep and had some dinner and maybe have a little quiet time? You can say, hey, sometimes you say this stuff to me and that's not working for me and I need to understand what's going on. Yeah. But if you, two thoughts. One is if you have a partner or someone in your life who's consistently saying that to you, I would really encourage you to find ways to sort of explore it and put an end to it, set some real limits around it. Mm -hmm. But the other thing to say is that the less we think that about ourselves, the less we're going to be willing to tolerate it from other people. Mm -hmm. Yes. And one of the things I can tell you is that I used to judge the shit out of other parents. I had all the parenting opinions. I won't even lie. I could judge another parent for anything. It was like amazing. We all do. Yeah. Well, but I don't do I mean it as much anymore. Right, right. And yeah. But we, like, I mean, it still comes very naturally to me and I can do it, of course. Yeah. Right. But I don't. And the difference is I'm not judging myself in the same way. Mm -hmm. And now I see a parent having a really rough parenting moment in public and I'm much more likely to think, huh, I wonder what's going on for them. Maybe, maybe they're going through a rough season. Maybe their kid just got a diagnosis. Maybe they didn't sleep well last night. Maybe blah, blah, blah. Maybe they've got a mortgage bill they can't pay and they're freaking out. Like I'm much more likely to have a generous speculation. Yeah, I know it's none of my damn business anyways, but I can't <laughs> stop that part. I'm much more likely to have a generous speculation about another parent because that's how I've started treating myself. Yeah. And so it's it's kind of this amazing thing that when we have more compassion for ourselves, we will have more compassion for other parents and we will expect and demand more compassion from other people or at least be far less likely to tolerate um, unkind behaviors and words from other people. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, <clears throat> the only thing I'll add is that having been on the receiving end of a you're a shitty parent comment oh. um, from an ex, I remember in that moment not believing it because I felt so good about myself and thinking, this has nothing to do with me. Like... His comment had yeah. everything to do with him and nothing to do with me. And it was just like such a, I don't know. I'll never forget that moment of like feeling free and not feeling at all like I was a shitty parent or, you know, or that I had anything to feel badly about. Like it was all about him. And so I think remembering that whenever somebody else is criticizing you, is judging you, that's about them. I love that, Pam. And it it reminds me of a John F. Kennedy quote, actually, that I put in the book where he says, the time to fix the roof is when the sun is shining. And so what I take that to mean for parenting is that self-compassion is something we need to be practicing every single day, not just in those moments when all of a sudden we feel horrible about ourselves or someone else is saying horrible things to us, because that moment feels more like a crisis. And you can't learn or practice or do anything new or different in a crisis because your brain and your body are too focused on kind of survival or attack or defense or whatever it is that there's no room to go back and be like, how do I say this in French? How do I say this in the language mm -hmm. of self-compassion? And so what I started doing um, was literally like going to a language lab for self-compassion, right? If anybody remembers those horrible language labs <laughs> in high school, I hope they're doing them differently. We have to put on like the headphones yeah, yeah. and listen to the phrases and repeat them back over and over again. I practice um, loving kindness meditation, which is literally at its most basic, just repeating these kind phrases to myself. And I, I, I give examples in the book, but you can just Google loving kindness meditation. There's a million ways to do it. And I encourage listeners to find the voice and the language and the wording that resonates with them. And I just walk around being like, well, may I be happy? May I be healthy? May I be safe? May I live with ease? And it, when I first started doing this, I was like, this is so corny. I'm going to throw up in my mouth. And <laughs> it was so not the vibe for me. But then finally I was like, oh, wait, I'm learning a new language. And what I will say is that in those crisis moments, when an ex comes at you with this horrible thing they're saying, or your kid comes at you, or you are just a wreck because you haven't slept or whatever. I want these words of kindness to be so encoded in your brain. It's like a native language that you can go back to. And it'll never be native, but at least you can be fluent in it, I guess I would say. And so I give ideas for the book about how to practice compassion on a daily basis. And 
The good news is that if you're like me and every other parent I know, your kids will present opportunities for you to practice self-compassion every single day. <laughs> every day. Amen. Yes. True. So, whew, yeah. But man, this this parenting thing is is not for the faint of heart. Well, thanks to you, we have so many amazing resources for parents. And how many books do you have now? Well, I've got four books out, but four really books. only the last two are sweary. So parents yes. should know that. <laughs> but I think all of them are really amazing. And I'll link to them in the show notes. Tell people, I know that this is coming out the week before the book is published, but people can pre-order it now. Yeah, the book publishes on September 27th, 2022. And it's available for pre-order at your favorite independent bookstore or your online bookseller of choice. Awesome. It'll be in paperback and audio and digital Kindle e-version. Nice. So, I mean, I'm just going to recommend that people stock up before because it's almost the holidays and you can give these out to your friends and family because everybody needs this information and everybody needs to know how to be kinder to themselves. So I think it's a great, I think it's a great gift for parents too. I really appreciate that. And what I would say to parents, especially mothers and mothers-in-law, do not give you how to stop losing your shit with your kids to people. That is not a gift book. I wish it was, <laughs> but it's not. And I can't tell you how many mothers and mothers-in-law who, I love my mother. I love my mother-in-law. So this is not them, but have come up and been like, I'm going to buy this for my daughter-in-law. And I'm like, oh, please don't. Please do not buy a book about how to stop losing your shit with your kids for your daughter-in-law. Whether right. This one is a good, this one is but a But this gift. one I think can be a gift. I, I really appreciate that. And I offer it with the intention of it being a gift. And so um, I hope it is, I really hope it's helpful to parents. Yeah. Awesome. So is there anything else you want to say before we, we go? Um, yeah, I just, I guess I want to leave parents with the idea that you don't have to be a perfect parent to be a great one. And just because parenting is hard doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It's because it's hard, always. And you got this. You can do it. Love it. That's an amazing note to end on. Thank you so much, Carla, for being here. We hope to see you again another time with the next book. Or even <laughs> Thank before. you, Amper, <laughs> for hosting me and for everything you do for, for moms and parents. It's, uh, I'm very grateful. I'm grateful for you. Thank oh, you. We're grateful for each other. <laughs> If you enjoy listening to this podcast and you're ready to feel calmer, more confident, and more at peace in your family and life, I invite you to sign up for a free consultation with me to learn about how my coaching can help you achieve the exact life you want. You'll take the concepts and tools I share in the podcast and apply them to your own life. And as your coach, I'll be there to support you every step of the way. Go to lessdramamoremama.com forward slash mini and sign up now.